Last week, we began a series that we've entitled Jesus Unfiltered, and we're spending some time with Jesus at some meals. And there's something about sharing a meal that brings a lot of our defenses down and maybe just causes us all to be real. And there are times at meals where Jesus revealed nothing short of the heart of God. And that's what we're spending time around these tables and at these meals, um, growing in our understanding of the heart of God and how that might relate to us. Now, just before we jump into um, the message for today, you know, last Sunday, um, big football game, Cowboys 49ers. And you may or may not know that did not go well for me and my crew. And yes, I know the final score. Stop texting me, people, okay? And so then during the week, I came in to the office and sitting in my chair one day this week was this. Let me just say this. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. But I have a particular set of skills. And no, I'm just kidding. We love football trash talking around here. So let's jump into the message. That's what we're here for. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. And let me tell you how Luke chapter 9 begins. Jesus sends out his disciples in pairs. And they are sharing the news, the good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that the Messiah has come. And in response to that, when they come back, Jesus kind of does a debrief with them, and their results, what they share, are mediocre. They're not that great. And so Jesus takes his disciples, and they go out to a pretty deserted place, and maybe we could call this sort of like a, you know, staff retreat or something like that. Jesus is going to pull them aside. Um, but all of a sudden, there's a huge crowd that hears that Jesus has gone to that place, and they show up. And what starts out as, hey, it's just the 12 of us, and Jesus turns into you know, the farmer's market on Saturday down in Ogden, and all of a sudden there's a huge crowd that's there. And this story unfolds in Luke chapter 9. And they've gone from a retreat to a huge crowd. And all of a sudden, food is going to factor into this story. Now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him, him is Jesus, and said, send the crowd away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, you give them something to eat. Now, that statement by Jesus is really the key to this whole story, right? There's some hungry people, and there's a lot of them. And so, you know, they're thinking very logically, hey, you know, these people need to kind of disperse and fend for themselves and get themselves their own meal. Why would Jesus turn to his disciples at that moment and tell them, hey, why don't you give them something to eat? You take care of this need. And what makes that question even more important in the context of this story is that this same story is the only one, the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And John's version of this story gives us this little tidbit of information. He, Jesus, said this to test him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he would do. If Jesus already knows what the need is, and he already knows what the solution is going to be, and you may know this story, Jesus is going to wind up feeding a whole bunch of people miraculously. If he knows that there's the need and he knows how he's going to meet it, why would he ask the question? And John tells us there's something else playing out in this story. That Jesus has a purpose in turning to his disciples and inviting them into the experience. Could it be that there are times when Jesus, still today, invites people who follow him to be involved, to be engaged, to step up and do what they can when God is still going to show up and do what only He can do because there are some aspects of faith that only grow in real time, in real ways that let us see who God is and we cannot learn that any other way. And I think He does. And so in this story, the key phrase of this whole thing is, well, you give him something to eat. Jesus, why would you do that when you already know what you're going to do? Because I'm trying to build the faith inside of the heart of these people that they would understand who God is and how God can show up sometimes because we're joining him in what he's doing. Story goes on. They said, you know, well, we have no more than five barley loaves, right? He turns to them, huge crowd, and, you know, says, you give them something to eat. Here's their response. We have no more than five barley loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy the food for all the people. In Mark's account of this, they go all economics, and they say, hey, it would take eight months' wages to pay for the meal for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And by the way, the word men is gender specific. Where there's 5,000 men, there were probably 5,000 women. And then you got, you know, a couple kids for all of those men and women. And most commentators are virtually unanimous that this crowd is actually 15 to 20,000 people. And Jesus turns to 12 and says, you feed them. And their response is, uh... We're a little short on resources. <laughs> we've got five loaves and we've got two fish. Now, I think there are some questions that come out of this story that help us to face overwhelming circumstances when we are up against something that looks impossible. Here's uh, question number one. What do I think is too big for God to handle? What do I think is too big for God to handle? Right, we talked about the whole news thing and what's going on in the world seems like it's out of control. And maybe in our own lives we see that as well. And maybe you look and you say, you know what, I've got a marriage or I've got a relationship that just seems like for all intents and purposes it's dead and gone. And I'm up against something that's too big. My financial situation is, is hopeless. And there is no real way forward here. You know, there's an issue in my own life, a hurt, a habit, or maybe an addiction, and it's been decades, and I'm not sure anything is ever going to change there. What is too big for God to handle in our thinking and in our approach? 
And here's what happens on that day, and we already read these words that come out of verse 12. Here's what the disciples say. Hey, you know, the the day began to wear away. It's late in the day. And then when Jesus says, hey, you know, you feed them, send the crowd away, and we are here in a desolate place. You know what their response is to this overwhelming need that's around them, 15 to 20,000 people? It is procrastination. It is passing the buck, and it is fear. It's late in the day. You could have thought about that before now, but they put it off. Anybody ever put anything off, kind of just hoping and wishing that it was going to get better all by itself? And that just never works. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And it never changes. Send the crowd away. Hey, we didn't invite them here. And they're here by their, you know, their own accord. This is not our problem. That's their problem. You know, we didn't say that a meal was included, you know, with coming and following Jesus here. Why don't you just send them away? They're blaming. They're shifting the blame onto them. You know, send them away. It's their problem. You know what? How you spell blame? Be lame. Every time we blame, we are being lame. And the disciples on this day are being lame. And then we're here in a desolate place. This is a scary place. There are no resources here. There's nothing we can turn to. We can't eat anything off the bushes here. There's nothing growing here. And I wonder, you know, if there was somebody, you know, who's thinking, well, where are we going to get the liability insurance? And do we have a permit from this, from the health department? And run all the different scenarios of why we should be concerned about where we are and how it doesn't work. Procrastination, shifting the blame, and fear. And I wonder if there's any of us that can resonate with those responses to moments when we're up against something pretty big. That we put it off, we shift the blame, and we just worry, which gets us nowhere. So here's the principle that I think comes out of this first question. Admit that I have an unsolvable problem. I've just got to acknowledge reality. You know, reality is our friend, even when it looks like it's pretty difficult. But in this moment, the disciples, they don't want to do that. They don't want to just even acknowledge that Jesus, you know what, this is just too big for us. And that really leads into the second question. What do I think is too small for God to work with? What do I think is too small for God to work with? Maybe you've looked at your own abilities or talents or time or resources and you said, you know what, it's just not enough. Not enough to meet the need that I have. And I'll tell you what the lesson of this story is not. The lesson here is not, you know what? You do have what it takes. You just look at yourself in the mirror when you get up in the morning and you tell yourself you got what it takes. That's not what this story is about. If you think that you're lacking what it takes to deal with some of the things that are huge in life, you're probably right. But here's what the disciples were doing, and this is where I fear, and again, I'm talking from my own experience too. This is where we often land. They look and take stock of their inventory there and their resources. We have no more than five loaves and two fish. So let's check out their math a little bit. Is their math correct? 15 to 20,000 people, and all we have is five loaves and two fish. Is that all they have? Who are they standing next to? Jesus, who, by the way, at this point, you know what they've already seen him do? 
He's turned water into wine at a wedding. He's raised somebody from the dead. He's healed somebody who was crippled. All we have is five loaves and two fish. Oh, by the way, and Jesus. But he's not factored in here. And I wonder sometimes if that's how our math goes as well. If we look at what we're facing and we look at our resources and we go, yeah, it's not enough. Are there real life moments where we have factored Jesus into the equation? There's a little kid who's a hero in this story who offers up his lunch. Now, I have to believe in a crowd of 15 to 1,000, 20,000 people. He's not the only one who brought a lunch. I think some people are hiding their lunch under the robe thinking, no way I'm giving that away. There's just way too many people here. There's one kid who offers up his little lunch, his happy meal, you know, so that people can be fed. And he doesn't know where all of that's going. And I think there's a principle that comes out of that. Start with what you have and watch God work. Start with what you have. What do you have? And if we offer that to God, do you think that maybe he could do more with that than we could just by ourselves? I think so. And I think that's the takeaway from this story. That we would factor him into real life moments. Third question, what will I do to believe that God will provide? And what will I do in light of the fact that I believe God will show up, that I expect God to show up? What will I do? Sometimes if we think of God in the Bible and we think of his capability to do some miracles, we might even in moments where we need something and we're up against something that is huge and impossible and unsolvable and go, go ahead, God, do your thing. And I'm just going to stand here and watch you do your thing. But on this day, Jesus says, you give him something to eat. And he was inviting them to be a part of what he was already knowing he was going to do. And could it be that in that moment they would learn something they could not learn any other way and it wasn't just about believing something and understanding something, but it was actually applying something in real life that would change their perspective? Here's what Jesus says, and he said to his disciples, have them sit, the huge crowd, down in groups of 50 each, and they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, Jesus, looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he turned and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus blesses it, they distribute it, and then what does God do? God multiplies it. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over and picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Not only does God meet the need, he exceeds the need. You know, I wonder what it was like for that little boy to go home, you know, and his mom says, hey, how was the deal? Well, it was pretty interesting. You know, they asked for food, and I, you know, handed over my, the, those buns and sardines. Really? And what happened? Well, Jesus blessed it. Some guys handed it out. And then everybody ate, and it just started with that. You go to your room until your father gets home, and you tell the truth. And I wonder if in the minds of some there's this idea that God's just going to do his thing, and we can stand back and watch, and if he doesn't show up, well, that, I guess that's just the way it is. 
Could it be that there are times and ways in which God is inviting us to join him in what he is doing? I think there's a principle here in this that where God guides, God provides. Where God takes us, God is going to show up in that place. But often he's asking us to be a part of what he's doing, to join him in what he is doing. In this whole story, what is the key phrase? You give them something to eat. And he did this to test them because he already knew what he was going to do. So Jesus, what are you doing by inviting them into it to learn something about faith that they're not going to learn any other place in any other way? That as they join God, that God will multiply little things into big things and meet needs that seem overwhelming, insurmountable. And maybe one way for us to think about this and remember this is to put it this way. While we wait for God to do a miracle for us, go ahead, God, do your thing. He's waiting to do a miracle through us, to involve us, to invite us, for us to join him in what he's going to do. So let's think about this individually. What does this mean? So my marriage is, is, is dead and gone. Could it be that maybe it's time to see that counselor or to take that step that has never been taken or maybe to reach out to other people to invite that help or maybe to ask some people to pray for you? And yeah, that means maybe sharing stuff that's a little bit hard you know, to say. Before the first service, somebody was telling me, about how their marriage has changed and seemed in a difficult place. They specifically asked people to pray and it's different today. What is it that God may be inviting us to do with him showing up on the other side of that in a dramatic way? Maybe with that hurt, that habit, that, that addiction in your life, and you know what, man, I've been dealing with this for decades, and I just can't seem to overcome it myself. You know what, you're right. And maybe it's time to reach out for some help. Maybe it's time to go to celebrate recovery. Maybe it's time to go talk to somebody who has some experience in knowing how to overcome that. What is it that God is inviting us to join him in doing? But let's also think about this corporately. What does this mean for us as a church, for Washington Heights? Could it be that God even wants to grow and stretch the faith of an entire church? And I think there are times when he does. And I'll give you a little bit of a preview. We're headed toward a season here in November where from Thanksgiving to Christmas for the last number of years, we've done something called Love Gives. And every week we do a project, either locally, globally, where we serve people outside of here. It's not about us. It's about reaching out because that's the heart of God to reach out. And this year, I'm going to let you know, we're going to do more than we've ever done before. Why? Because I think there's more need than ever before. And also we come to a God who is as powerful as he's ever been. And oh, by the way, this year in that we also have an expansion a building program, but it's really not about a building. It's about people. And let me share something that I believe, and you can decide whether or not you agree with this, but I look at our culture in this day, and there is more fear, uncertainty, and just a sense of 
oh no, than I've ever known in my lifetime. But you know what else is true? And what we've experienced is that there are more people who are looking for hope, who are looking for something to build a life on, for something that is true, for something that is lasting, for something that is real. There are people who are hungry for God. And it's kind of difficult for us to invite a whole bunch of new people into our experience because it's so full. And so what will we do? And I wonder if God is saying to us in this time, you give them something to eat. People are hungry for God. And can we join him in what he's doing as the heart of God reaches out? And by the way, remember the disciples said, send the crowd away. That, they're not our problem. We didn't ask them to show up. They came of their own accord. Mark's version of this story says, when Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion on them. Jesus is revealing the heart of God. And there are ways in which we can respond to that and make that real in our day, in our time, with whatever resources we have. And when we bring those to God, even big things. And this expansion, it's a big thing. And we need God to show up. And of course, it can only happen if he does. But at the same time, could he be asking us to join him in what he's doing? And so let's not just wait for God to do a miracle for us. Let's join him and recognize that sometimes God does great things when his people join him in what he's already doing. Would you bow your heads together with me as I pray? God, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a God who has not just given us some words from afar from a God who lives in an ivory tower, but Lord Jesus, you came to this world and you engaged the hearts and lives of real people. You did it then, and God, you can do it still now. And God, as we seek to follow after you, help us to see what you see. And God, maybe even this coming week, we can just pray that prayer each and every day. God, help us to see what you see. Would you help us more and more to grasp the heart of God in a world like ours, in a day like ours, in a culture like ours? God, we just ask that we could follow you all the more and that we would be involved in the things of God and God, grow our faith, stretch our faith, and may we understand that there are certain aspects of faith we only learn on the other side of joining you in the things that you were doing. And so lead us in that direction, God, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm gonna ask you to hold on. Usually we say so long, but hang on for one sec because I wanna tell you a little bit of the rest of the story here. Luke chapter 9 begins with the disciples being sent out two by two, and they come back, and the results are mediocre. Luke chapter 10 begins this way. Jesus sends them out again. Let's try this one more time. 
And somebody said, you know, there are times that the disciples are more like the duh disciples, you know, because they missed a whole bunch of things. But all of a sudden they get sent out again in Luke chapter 10 and they come back and they report. And you know what the report is filled with? All kinds of incredible things. What changed from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 10? Oh yeah, there was a story when Jesus invited them. You give them something to eat. And they did what they could and then God showed up and did what only he could. And their faith grew. I believe we're headed sort of season like that, where God is going to stretch our faith in ways that help us follow him all the more. Thanks for being here today. Have a great week, and we will see you soon. I want to remind you about the meet and greet room. If you're new around here, would love to spend a couple minutes with you. We'll see you soon.